Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on January 22nd, 2023, on the basis of Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 23. The gospel reading in our sermon is based on Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, this is John the Baptist he's talking about here, uh, Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is the gospel of the Lord. We say a prayer. Dear Lord, may the meditation of our hearts and the words of my lips be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were to go back through the last maybe 25, 30, maybe even back to 50 years of American Christianity, and you were to look at some of the highlights, I'm talking about Christianity at large here. Uh, you'd find several uh, very charismatic figures that would, would be brought up and talked about in that history, over the course of that history. You'd find several churches that were maybe led by some of those charismatic leaders, maybe not, but some of those churches that, that grew so quickly uh, that you couldn't help but notice. And some of those churches that grew so big uh, that they gained notoriety just because of their, their size. If you were to look at all of that, chances are, you would come across a, a name of a church, uh, Willow Creek Community Church. Now, that, um, that name might need, mean nothing to you, but it, it was a church, it still is a church, on the south side of Chicago in a, in a suburb there. And, and they gained notoriety because they grew so fast and they got to be so big um, that they were worshiping at their height 24,000 people on just one weekend. And... and Things, great things were happening. Fantastic things were happening. People's lives were being changed. And many were calling themselves Christians who never would have dreamed of calling themselves Christians before. Until the devastating news broke. There had been an allegation made against their lead pastor, whose name is Bill Hybels. And people were shocked when they heard about this. And before too long, it became obvious that this allegation had truth to it. 
And it wasn't just one allegation, but multiple allegations, and the people were, were devastated. How could this guy who, who had preached to so many people, how could this guy whose message seemed to change so many lives, who seemed to, to, to have people calling themselves Christians for the first time that never thought that they would, how could that guy be caught up in, in something like this? How could he be living a double life this, this whole time? Now, maybe as you're sitting here listening to this, it's not all that surprising to you. Uh, and I don't blame you. Uh, every, every once in a while, you'll see pop up in the news another uh, either big church or small church, a, a church where, where its leader was caught up in some sort of indiscretion that has become known. In addition to that, it's maybe not surprising to you uh, because you know that, that nobody, nobody is exempt from the attacks of Satan. And everybody carries around with them a, a sinful nature. Undoubtedly, a lot of the people at that church knew that too. They were maybe shocked because they were emotionally invested in that church and, and it was a situation very close to them. But perhaps the shock wasn't over the sin itself. Maybe it was because it seemed like this guy was so connected to God and his word over here and yet this stuff was happening over here. They couldn't reconcile this man with this man. About five years ago now, almost six, 2017, uh, a, a couple named Bill and Patty Farrell, they, they released this book, and it was talking about the differences between uh, men and women. There's plenty of those books out there. There's plenty of those, uh, of those seminars and, and stuff out there. And they, they would talk about the, the, ways, the ways that men and women differ in how they think, the, the ways that they differ in how they resolve conflict, how they communicate, how they relax, and so on and so forth. It, it was not a unique book that they, they wrote. All the concepts you could find in probably 20 other books out there. But the way that they chose to communicate those, uh, those topics was intriguing. That was unique. And you can tell it just by the name of the book. The book is called... Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. Maybe you've heard of that one before. Uh, and, and here's what they proposed. They said women are like spaghetti in the sense that everything is connected to everything else. Just like spaghetti weaves in and out and all around, everything is connected to everything. Women take all things into account in, in most circumstances. So something that happens at home is very relevant for what happens at work, and something that happens at work is very relevant for what happens at home which is set in stark contrast to how men normally think. Men are like waffles because waffles have compartments. Work is in this compartment, home is in this compartment, hobbies are in this compartment. You get the idea. I don't know if that's true of you or not. These things are, are sweeping generalizations, so it may not be. But I think the Bible makes the case that uh, even though men and women may think differently on, on certain things in that way, I think all people the Bible teaches, are very good at compartmentalizing. All people kind of think like waffles when it comes to, to God and his word. And it never happens on purpose. It doesn't happen on purpose, but it, it happens. Where, where we come to worship here on Sunday morning, we come to hear God's word. We may even read God's word throughout the week. 
But God's word and, and worship, that kind of stays in this box over here, and it doesn't affect all of the other boxes in my life. It doesn't make its way into the other places of my life. That's how somebody can, can uh, hear God's word on this side and seem to be so dedicated to God and his word on this side. They can know what's written in God's law and yet live opposite to it on this side. And a lot of times, it's not like, they're not, not like we're living opposite to God's word in every area of our life. A lot of times, we, we live according to God's word maybe in almost everything except that one sin. That one sin that is hidden in this compartment over here that we have been unwilling to confront and unwilling to, to bring out and confess. And it's not an intellectual problem because we know. You know that God has called you to honor and respect those in authority. That he has called you to care about and care for uh, other people's bodily needs. You know that God has called you to flee from sexual immorality and live a pure life. You know that God has called you to, to be honest in business dealings, to tell the truth always, and to be thankful for what you've been, been given. Intellectually, we know that. But it's not an intellectual problem. The problem is here. In fact, a lot of times we can, we can be in church, we can be reading God's word, and we can hear exactly what he's saying, and we may nod along in agreement, but because God and his word and, and what happens here on Sunday have been relegated to this box over here, Nothing changes. We're able to live this, this double life, sin over here, but God's over, over here. God has something to say about that, and he does in our, our section for today. But it might not be altogether obvious at first. A lot of times as you're, you're reading the Bible, there's some details that you think, that must be important. There must be some significance to that, but it's not obvious to you exactly what that is right away because the Bible is written at a certain time for a certain people in a certain context, right? Somebody who was reading Matthew's words at that time, they would know when they heard Naphtali and Zebulun, they'd know exactly why that was an important and significant part of this, of this reading. But for us, we got to dig in a little bit here. So let's refresh our memories a bit. Uh, Naphtali and Zebulun, they were two of the sons of Jacob, if you're thinking back in Old Testament history, you're thinking Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, right? His son was Isaac, and Isaac's son was Jacob. So he's one of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob folks. Jacob had 12 sons, and two of them were Naphtali and Zebulun. Those 12 sons eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. So when Israel went down to Egypt, when Jacob brought his family down to Egypt, and they grew and they multiplied uh, the, the descendants of the Israelites came from those 12 sons. And so two of the tribes of the Israelites were Naphtali and Zebulun. They were with Moses as they, they went through the Exodus and, and got out of Egypt. They were with Moses when they wandered in the desert. They, they went with Joshua into the promised land and helped conquer most of the promised land. And Naphtali and Zebulun, when they went into the promised land, they were the ones that inhabited the northern part of, of Israel, what would come to be known at the time of Jesus as Galilee. There's something to know, though, about Naphtali and Zebulun historically, and, and Isaiah kind of alluded to that in our reading before. This was a, a place that hadn't seen much good. 
This was a place that was constantly torn apart, trampled on uh, by war. Uh, Israel and Syria, they, they were constantly fighting, and Naphtali and Zebulun were, were caught right in the, in the middle. Not to mention, geographically speaking, if you go, go home and look at a map um, of, of this, the, the big world powers of the times, like Assyria, uh, when they came to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, they would come through the north, north of the Sea of Galilee, and they would come right through Zebulun and Naphtali, and, and they'd stomp on them before they'd go and invade uh, uh, Israel. And then the Babylonians did the same thing when they came to destroy Judah and and Jerusalem. They used that Naphtali and Zebulun, that region, as a corridor that led all the way down to destroy. So this this region had been trampled on. This region had been in the darkness, and the people had felt the effects of of this war-torn, fought-over-by-nation area. So when Isaiah prophesied what he did, They were looking forward to that. But when Isaiah said, those living in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the the shadow of death, a light will dawn. They were looking forward to that. And many of them, none of them would see that at the time of Isaiah. But their ancestors would. Generations later, 700 years later, in that very same region, in the region of Naphtali and Zebulun, the light of the world would appear. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which was in Galilee, which is in the region of Naphtali and Zebulun. And he did more than just grow up there. He started his ministry there. He called his disciples from there. No one would have expected that. No one would have expected that from this region, uh, the disciples would be called. No one would have expected that something good would actually happen in this region, that, that some light would show up in this region that had been trampled and been living in darkness all this time. Yet here is where Jesus chose to begin his ministry. Here is where Jesus chose to, to expose himself as the light of the world. And he shined on that region in two ways. The, the first way, it's what we talked about in the, the children's devotion. He, he shined on that region in, by, by doing what light normally does. Light reveals what's in the darkness. Light reveals what's lurking there, the, the hidden things that no one else can see. Light reveals that. And so Jesus, when he went around preaching in that region, he started by saying in verse 17, repent. Now that's a word that you hear all the time, right? We, we maybe bring it up almost every sermon, maybe. It's a word you hear so often that you kind of know what it means by the context of it, but maybe if somebody tested you right now and said, what does repentance mean? Maybe that, that wouldn't immediately come to mind. But repentance has two parts, you'll remember. The first part is to acknowledge your sin and confess it before God. Yet, in order to acknowledge your sin and confess it before God, that sin has to be brought out of those compartments that we have it hidden in. It has to be brought into that exposing light. Jesus has to expose sin for what it is because we, by nature, uh, hide our sin in all of these different compartments all over the place and maybe for various reasons. We put this sin over here because we just don't want to confront it. We know it's going to be hard to confront that one, uh, but we're just, we're just going to leave it over here for now and, and forget about it. Live my life over here. Leave that sin over here. Maybe we shove a sin in this compartment over here uh, because 
quite honestly, we kind of like committing that sin. We kind of like going back to that sin. And we don't, want, we don't want to get rid of that. We don't want to bring it into the exposing light. But what Jesus says is don't be a waffle. Remove those compartments. Take down those walls. Expose those, those sins to the light for what they are, that they're sins, and confess them to, to God. Because Jesus came to be a light that would do far more than just expose you of your sins. He came not just to expose, but to transform. That's what Jesus' light did. That's what this light that dawned on on Naphtali and Zebulun would do. And that's the second thing that, that he came for. He came to shine the light of his gospel on a people who were lost in the darkness of sin. We heard that in in all these different readings, right? Those who don't listen to the word of God, they are darkness. Those who hate their brother, they are darkness. Those who commit sins, they are darkness. But Jesus came to shine his light on those people, on you, and make you to be light. And we see that in the second part of verse 17. Really, you could include repent in there because we haven't yet talked about the second part of repentance. But he says, repent For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven near, and along with it, he brought all of its blessings, and he came to preach that to the people. He said, I have come to bring you the the good news, the good news that he would be the light that would drive out the darkness, the good news that Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus came to bring good news, the light, to a region that historians never would have thought of had it not been for Isaiah's prophecy. Nobody would have anticipated that the light of the world would show up in Naphtali and Zebulun. But that's what God does. God shines his light in dark places and he makes them to be light. And he has done the same for you. He has taken someone who has been born into darkness and lost in that darkness and he has made you to be light in him. He hasn't just come to expose you for for the sins that you've committed, but he has come to take those away, to shine his light on it so that you would be transformed, so that you yourself would become light. That's your identity. When he says you are light, that's identity language there. He wants you to know that's who you are. He wants you to know it here, and he wants you to know it here, that you are light, that you are forgiven, which is why whenever we confess our sins in worship, we always know what's coming after that. The absolution always comes after the confession. And it's good that you know that. It's good that you know that when you confess your sins, you will be forgiven by God. Because the second part of repentance, we said the first part was to acknowledge and confess our sins, right? The second part of repentance is to trust that Jesus is your Savior that has taken away all of your sins. Repentance isn't complete until that trust That second part of repentance is also complete. Jesus has saved you from your sins. And really what that has has done is it has freed you up. It's freed you up. You don't have to hide things in compartments over here and over here and over here because you know that he has forgiven your sins. He, He will shine that light on that sin and expose that sin for what it is, but he will also forgive that sin. He will transform that and, and make that a forgiven sin and make you, again, no longer darkness, but light. Make you his, his child. Let that light shine in, in every area of your life. Remove those compartments. Don't be waffles. <laughs> Let the light shine in, in your life 
to expose the sin and to transform it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let your law and gospel work on our hearts. Your law is the light that exposes our sin for what it is. Your gospel is the light that transforms us to be who you have made us to be, forgiven children of you. Uh, Let that identity sink in for us, Lord. Uh, Let us embrace that identity and, and let us then be lights to the people around us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Hi there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. If you liked this sermon and like the content that we're producing as a church, could you do us a favor? Could you hit subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to this on? That helps us be be heard by more people more often so that more people might hear about Jesus and his love. Take care, have a great week, and we'll we'll see you next week for another sermon.